The reading this evening uh, is from Psalm 96, which is at page 602 on your pew Bibles. Psalm 96, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees and the forests will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Amen. Hello. Good evening. I want to give my personal kind of greetings to all those who are new and uh, coming here for the first time, especially if you're an undergrad. I was just reminiscing as I was coming here of my first week as an undergrad, and I realized it was really difficult to meet new people. So I decided that I just got into queues and everyone I met were two people in front of me and two people behind me in queues. And I discovered that after, I got into queues that I uh, never, uh, it did, I didn't even need to be in. And I realized after about a year that a lot of my friends were queue people. And so just maybe if, that, if you're quite like me and you feel, you know, it's quite difficult to go and say hello to new people in the church, then I will, at the end of the service, just start a queue. And if you want to join it and we can chat, that would be great. So, um, well, let's pray before, uh, before we... Uh, Speak about something serious. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are here and you long to meet with us. And I just pray that uh, you would use uh, what I prepared now and uh, this psalm to be able to speak truth into our lives today. Amen. So, well, we are, we're starting a, a new series and we're looking at, uh, a, it's called All New Things. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these new things that happen that when we come to know Jesus, when we, when we come to discover him as our Lord and Savior, uh, what changes in us? So you know, how do we look, act, sound, and live differently to our old self? And we're not talking about just what happens at that moment of you know, accepting Jesus, but the day in, day out of coming, you know, having Jesus as our, in a, being in a relationship with him. But this evening, I'm going to be focusing on what we worship. 
the title is A New Song in Our Hearts, What We Worship. And um, so just to give a bit of a background on uh, Psalm 96, this psalm is one of a, just a collection of hymns, and the psalmist is, is reminding Israel that the blessings of God were never just intended for, for one group of people, but instead to declare his glory among the nations in verse 3. It is a psalm that encourages us also to sing a new song. It says that three times at the right of the beginning, and to break out in praise in verse 1. Not just because of the past or because of the present, but because of the fact that the Lord will one day return. And that is something that can bring us great joy and, uh, and to that one day all tears and pain and suffering will end. It is also a psalm that reminds us that God is on the throne. And it is only he that is to be worshipped, for he created the heavens. Amazing. He's created the heavens. That is why he is on the throne. That's why he deserves our worship. If you're new to this church, then I just want to, then you need to know that worship is something that we are passionate about here at HT. In most activities in the church, we will have some form of worship, uh, and uh, it is, and it's something we will always encourage people to do. We had, you know, Paddy and Ed who are leading us in worship tonight and for the band. And we, 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 they often come and bring us new songs of worship so we can express different characteristics and attributes of God. Why do we do this? Because we found that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he is the only thing that will bring us true meaning in life. For when we fix our eyes and worship anything else, we are left empty. I'm sure there are many people here who can uh, testify to that. And it is this point that I want to focus on this evening. What is it that you worship? What is it that you worship? In a, uh, in a survey of uh, millennials, so those who were kind of brought up in the, uh, after 2000, 50% of young adults said that a major life goal was to become famous. In the, you know, in the past, people wanted to become famous for doing something. Now, people uh, uh, become famous. You could become famous just for the, for the sake of being famous. It has attained a godlike characteristic. Not only do people want to be famous, though, they idolize those who have achieved this celebrity status. When you go home tonight, maybe like me, you you will turn on the TV and you could get sucked into watching your pre-recorded version of the X Factor. Now, I, you know, I, one of the things that, you know, strikes me about watching this show is when, when someone comes up to uh, introduce themselves, you know, Simon Cowell will say, so why did you, you know, why have you come today? And they often say, because I, I want to change my life. It's a dream that I've always longed for, and I, I'm desperate to, to, to become, uh, you know, to become known, become famous. And you're looking at these people and who are often craving for recognition and maybe acceptance. And you know deep down when you're watching it that if they, they got their heart's desire and they became famous, it's going to be a disaster. There's a, a, a New York journalist called Cynthia Heimel who wrote this article about struggling actors. And she said over the years, she'd known a number of struggling actors, and, and they would end up working in restaurants or you know, selling tickets in cinemas just to, to pay their way. And then they become famous. 
And when they're struggling like all of us, they said, you know, if only I would you know, make it in that business and, you know, I had this or that, then I'd be happy. They were like so many other people who are stressed, driven, you know, easily upset. But when they actually got what they'd been longing for, this journalist Heimel said, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, manic even. Not just arrogant as you, you might expect, you know, even worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. And so she wrote this, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because the giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And nothing had changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. She, she was sorry for them. They had the thing that they'd been striving for, the thing that they thought that would bring them meaning and happiness, but it didn't. She then adds this kind of statement at the end. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. Fame and uh, ambition is like salt water to the thirsty person. You know, the more you get, you know, the more you want. An example of this, Madonna, who's, who it was, uh, at one stage of her career was probably the most famous woman in the planet. She said this, I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. Now, we may not want to become famous. I'm aware of that. But we are all tempted to worship something other than God, to seek fulfillment in another way. If it's success, power, influence, money, such temptations are very real and they are compelling if we're not careful. So the main part of this um, passage that we read, uh, um, I, I want to focus on verses 4 and 6. Um, it says this, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. For all the gods of the nations are idols. You see, an idol is a thing that you make number one in your life. It is the thing that you worship and adore. It affects your decisions and your purposes in your life. And uh, things are often held together by its success and will fall apart in its, in its failure. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember what the, the first uh, commandment is in the, in the Bible, in Exodus 20. It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
God is, is jealous for you. you know, I love that image. It's not in a childish kind of selfish kind of way, but a way of love. In the same way that I love my wife and I would never want to share her with anyone else, uh, God does not want to share us with anything or anyone else. God is jealous for you. Are you jealous for him? The psalm tells us that the Lord reigns, verse 10, and he is worthy of our praise. There's no higher seat in authority, power, and splendor in the whole universe than him. All other gods will let us down. In the book of 1 Samuel, the uh, Philippian nation, they, uh, they capture the ark of the Lord. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 5, if you're interested. And you know, unaware of the, the power involved, of the embodiment of, of God's presence in the ark, they, they take the ark and they take him in, into their temple and they put the ark next to their idol, um, um, their idol of Dagon. And early in the morning, they, they came to, to, to see their idol and they find it fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now, Louis Giglio once said, if you find your God bowed face down on the floor before another God, then it's time to get a new one. Somehow, though, the Philistines, they didn't get that memo, and they, they, they end up deciding to pick up their aisle, dusting it off, putting it back on its plinth, and uh, going back to their day. However, the next day they arrive, and there's Dagon. He's back on the ground, face down before the ark of the Lord, only this time his head and his hands are broken off and he's lying in pieces. That's what happens to things that are not the Lord that we worship. Football today, you know, I love football, don't get me wrong. I love a good game of football. And, uh, but there's an example that of kind of idols around us. The beautiful game has become, for many, like, like Dagon, an object of worship. Now, I don't mean people like, literally get down and worship the players, but it's often where our heart is, isn't it? People's heart is. They can idolize the players, the, te the teams. They, they attend regularly to, to games and spend all their money on it, and that is what they, they, they long for and they live for. And this week, we've uh, seen the, the downfall of uh, the England football manager, Sam Allardyce. You know, it's a really sad story of a man who has always longed to be the England manager. But he was never properly considered because he was always passed by by more maybe international or successful managers. But eventually, he, he got this dream job. Everything he'd ever wanted. You know, three million a year as well. Surely such a job would satisfy his desires. But then the, the greed of, uh, of, of, of power, of influence, became his, his downfall. Sam Allardyce is now the subject of much scorn and laughter around the nation. And he, he seems to have let down his family, his self, his, his, the, the, the beautiful game, his country. But... Uh, there's lots of things we can learn from this, uh, this situation. Are, are, we, are we better than this, this poor man? I think we should be very careful before we consider picking up our, our stone and throwing it. For none of us, without the, from the grace of God, are 
free from sin. Now, many of us are worshiping things that are, are not God. We may come here on a Sunday, but actually, what are we worshiping when we, when we leave this place? For, for Sam, I, I believe he's, he's, he's not a Christian, and I, he may think that his talents are self-generating, that, that in effect, he is his own kind of God. But again, that is such an easy thing to, to fall into. You know, if you've come today and you're a student to Cambridge, you might be tempted to believe that your exceptional mind and achievements are entirely to your credit. And if that's not now, that, that may happen over time. And you soon start editing God out of the equation as you start lifting yourself up and glorifying your own abilities. David uh, Foster Wallace was regarded as one of uh, the most popular writers of his generation. And he's not a he wasn't religious, but he gave this famous speech, and he says this, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much everything else will just eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you, you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to feel your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. David Foster, who wrote this, he ended up killing himself in 2008. What is it that you worship? At the moment, my... Uh, my my kids' default setting is to worship me, you know, and you know, they think I'm perfect. And to be honest, they are not far wrong. But as they grow up, I'm going to fail their massive expectations of me. Lois, my wife, and I are the center of their lives. And to me, to them, we can never make a mistake. We, we never encounter a problem that we can't fix. We will we'll never get ill. We will never die. But sadly, we'll do all these things. God is not asking us to put him first because he's a, a selfish God that has this just big ego trip. We're to put him first because he is the only thing in our life that will not fail us or leave us. It's not selfish. It's not sinful. And that is the, the main issue. It's all about sin, about rebellion from God, because it affects everything in our life. In the film uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, it gives a good example of what this uh, rebellion or this sin looks like. The ring corrupts anyone who tries to use it. 
you know, however good his or her intention, you know, some characters in the book want to liberate slaves or um, save their lands from, uh, from visiting enemies or, or visit certain enemies to kind of uh, deal certain punishments, just punishments on them. You know, all good objectives, but this, this ring makes them willing to do anything to achieve their goal. It turns good things into absolutes. It slowly takes control of you and makes you a slave to it. And in Gollum's case, it ultimately takes your life. The only way we're to be free from it is for someone else is to carry that burden and destroy the ring once and for all. And that is what sin does for us and why Jesus came into the world. We were separated from God because humankind thought they knew better and wanted to make themselves like God, to put themselves on the throne. So they chose to worship all types of gods, created things instead of the creator, as it says in Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. But we discovered, as we, many of us will know, but getting our hearts' desires is often the worst thing for us. But God so loved the world and doesn't want us to be separated from him. So he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He took the burden. He suffered the consequences of sin, the pain of death and separation from, his fa from the father so we don't have to. I'm a Christian today because I believe that if Christ died for me and now lives in me through the power of his Holy Spirit, then I have hope that is worth living for. Someone who will never fail or disappoint me. Whatever hits me and however hard life might be, there is something greater at work in me and through me to sustain me. This is the hope that I cling for every day. And I want to encourage you, please don't leave today thinking that the way to be free from, from worshiping idols or just putting things in front of God is to just repent and use willpower. Just try harder. It isn't that. In fact, it's actually in many ways more than that. It's setting the mind and heart on things above, as it says in Colossians 1. Yeah, lifting your head and saying, that is where the author of life comes from, where the source of my life comes from. And as the psalm encourages us to do, it encourages us to sing, to rejoice, bring our offering and declare what the Lord has done for you. We need to allow Jesus to become more beautiful and desirable than the idols we once worshipped. It's a bit like gardening. I like doing a little bit of gardening. If you uproot, you know, certain weeds and you don't put, you know, you don't really uproot them and you just pick out the flowers at the, you know, the tops of them, they end up growing back, don't they? Well, if you uproot an idol and fail to replace it with the love of Jesus, your idol will only grow back. How do we do this? Well, it is, it is a discipline. It is a daily commitment to put God back on the throne. And this is not something just happens when you, you know, become a Christian and you accept the Lord there. You know, actually, this is a daily thing. God, I am not 
God of my own life. You are the God of, of my life. We need to be rooted in the Bible. You know, read the scriptures. We, we talk about it week in, week out, and it's such an obvious thing for, for, to talk about, but actually it's very hard sometimes to do it. I just want to encourage you. Are you, are you reading this word of God? Are you, are you getting into to, to, to God's truth for, for, uh, for our lives and for the, for, for the, for the world? We also need to, to make a priority of worshiping God. And, and firstly, I think, you know, it's so important for us to be worshiping God in private. You know, not to, to, to you know, ignore your quiet times of the Lord, but actually, are you, are you singing praise and worship to him? Sometimes we come to God with our, just our shopping list of things. But actually, God, I want to praise you. I want to worship you. I want to continually put you back on the throne where you deserve. But also, are we worshiping in a, in a community here? You know, I, many of you may be coming to, you know, looking for a church, and, uh, but I really encourage you to find one quickly because it's so important for us to be part of a, a worshiping community. And maybe joining a home group will be a great way of doing that as well. It's an opportunity to worship with, with one another and be challenged and supported by one another. And the final thing I just think is just be willing and open for being ch- challenged and changed by the Holy Spirit. Because when we do that, I believe we end up becoming a bit more like what we've been created to be, the people the Lord has had designed us to be. So I just want to leave with that one question is, is, what is it that you worship? I want to encourage you to be, let it be Jesus.